John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. Father God, as we move into this season of Epiphany, this time of unveiling, this time of revealing, where you show the world who your Son is, and you invite us to be part of your family, Lord, we ask that your power and your presence would come. That in a similar way that we could experience um, the opening of the heavens and the pouring out of your Spirit upon us. That Spirit that you give us to empower us, to encourage us. Give us eyes to see, Lord, and give us ears to hear as we spend time with you and your Word. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Good evening. Well, it is the season of Epiphany. We're wearing white for the season of Epiphany. Yesterday was the Feast of Epiphany, which is... Uh, when we remember the three wise men or the three kings coming from the east to see the Christ child. And the season of Epiphany is about Jesus in his ministry and, and his identity being unfolded and revealed to the world, who he is, what his ministry is, why he has come. And these stories, this gospel story and the story from the book of Acts are Epiphany stories. The story in the gospel is an Epiphany story because the heavens are ripped open, the Spirit is poured out, on Jesus and his baptism, and God declares, God the Father declares, this is my beloved Son. He is revealed at that time to be who he truly is, what his identity is, what his mission is. But we have in Acts sort of almost a comical story of a group of people who had some understanding, some level of understanding uh, about John and his baptism. We don't know exactly what they knew or exactly what they experienced. When they encounter Paul, something else happens. Uh, they encounter the Holy Spirit. They are baptized into Jesus, baptized into the name of Jesus, and they receive the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And the book of Acts really can be considered kind of an epiphany book because the point of the, the book is for the good news of Jesus in his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, and his pouring out on the Spirit to be preached from Jerusalem outward unto the whole world. And we have these encounters, like in Ephesus, where people come into contact with the good news, and they don't just hear something, they experience something. And we're going to talk about that as well, that this, this epiphany is not just something to experience, um, not just something to know, but something to experience as well. And I want to take Paul's question in this passage, because he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, we, were not, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit, which is, I, I love that, it's hilarious. Oh, who's this Holy Spirit you speak of? And then Paul asks this amazing question, into what then were you baptized? Into what then 
were you baptized? He assumes that they've been baptized, they've experienced some sort of baptism, that they've been immersed into something, but it's not exactly what he has been proclaiming. And I want to take that question for us and ask that question of ourselves. Into what then have you been baptized? And to look at that question in two senses. One sense is, what does it mean for a Christian to be baptized? Typically on this day, we do baptisms as a part of the baptism of the Lord, celebrating that and recognizing that we do baptisms. Um, what does the reality of our baptism mean? And to what then have you been baptized for those who have been baptized? But also that the recognition that we are immersed in other things as we go about in our life. That we're immersed in realities and experiences and contexts and relationships, and maybe we don't recognize that. Um, the writer David Foster Wallace gave a famous commencement address that has been published as a little book called What is Water? And the premise of the talk is, is a joke. Uh, there are two young fish swimming along, and an older fish comes along and says to the two young fish, hey boys, how's the water? And the two fish say, what is water? The reality that they lived in, the thing that nourished them, they, it was so uh, all, all around them, they were so immersed in it, they weren't even able to recognize what water is. And that's true for us sometimes as Christians, that we're so sort of in, immersed in the Christian world that we don't have, have this recognition of what it is and what it means and what we've been given. But also in the broader world, where this world that we live in, the, the water that we swim in all around us, that we sometimes forget into what then we have been immersed. So I want to look at the reality of our baptism. What does our baptism mean? What does it mean to be a baptized follower of Jesus Christ? And the first thing that I want to look at is this idea that when we are immersed or baptized, we are immersed or baptized into the family life of God. Look at verse 5 of Acts 19. Well, verse 4, Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in or into the name of the Lord Jesus. When we baptize, we baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We baptize into the family name of God. At Jesus' baptism, it was a family affair. It is the Father declaring His favor over His Son. You are my beloved Son. It is the Spirit descending upon the Son. It's a Trinitarian affair. It's a family affair. And it, it was the same experience for these disciples in Ephesus. They're baptized into Jesus, into the family of God, and then they, they too experience the power and the presence of the Spirit because they begin to speak in tongues and to prophesy. So to be baptized is to be immersed into the family life of God. And the Spirit comes on us, and that Spirit is the Spirit of God's family. To be baptized, to be a follower of Jesus, means that we are adopted into God's family. And this is something that it's easy to forget, that, that the church is God's family. It's something that's so close to us, like water, that maybe we forget, that we as Christians are brothers and sisters because we have been adopted into the family of God. And it is the Holy Spirit who is in us, bearing witness to us that we are part of God's family, that Truly, we are God's sons and daughters, that truly we are heirs. The way that Paul puts it in the book of Romans, 
chapter 8, verse 15, he said, You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by whom we cry, Abba, Father. It is by the spirit that we are able to call God Father, to recognize as his true sons and daughters, his true heirs, that we are part of God's family. Baptism has a lot of meanings, but this is one that we often forget. That to be baptized means to be immersed in the family life of God. And there are some interesting things maybe sometimes that we forget about what it means to be part of God's family. What it means to be adopted by him. In the book, Knowing God by J.I. Packer, a great book by a great Anglican, he says that the highest privilege of the gospel is adoption. Adoption is the highest privilege of the gospel. Another way to put that is this. The best part of the good news is that you and I are God's children, that we are his sons and his daughters, that we are truly heirs of his. And this has all sorts of implications because it cuts through this question of, well, Is it who I am or what I do that matters to God? If you frame it in the context of family, the question goes out the window. Or it's reframed, at least. Because what adoption means is that Christian behavior follows our belonging to God. It follows our identity as true sons and daughters. To be a Christian is to be a son and daughter. To be a Christian is to bear the family resemblance. And that's a lifetime affair. But it is God's hope for us that we would look like Jesus. In the same passage in Romans chapter 8, that's what Paul says, that God's will for us, what he's willing for our good, for his good pleasure, is that we would be conformed to the image of his son. That we would look like Jesus. The way that Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians is that the Spirit drops this veil and we're able to look at the glory of God And by looking at that glory, we are able to become that glory. But he says something very interesting. He says that it's by degree. From one degree of glory to the next. It's not instantaneous. It takes time. That's the family life of God. If you, as a a child, or if you have children, there's a recognition that your father and your mother, they have to say things over and over and over and over again. Over the course of the holidays, you're sort of in close captivity with your family. And over the last couple of weeks, I've been traveling with my family, and we're kind of getting to that point where we don't want to see each other anymore. So the, not only am I getting irritated with my four-year-old, my four-year-old's getting irritated with me. You know kind of how that goes. Like, she doesn't want to be around me anymore, so the feeling's mutual. So it's not so bad. But how many times do I say the exact same things, right, over and over, as a father, Sometimes in frustration, sometimes in patience, but saying the same things over and over and over and over and over again. And then you see those glimmers of times when it's, okay, Daddy, those are the best two words, right? When you say, hey, could you do X, Y, and Z? Okay, Daddy, and then she goes and does it. And there's this glimmer of hope that she is changing, (laughs) that she is learning what it is to be part of the family. But the fact that she says no sometimes or runs off or throws a fit doesn't mean that she's not part of my family. She's just as much as my daughter in that moment when she says no as she is when she says, okay, daddy. And that's the same with the family of God. We belong. We are sons and daughters. It's our identity. We are beloved children. Before Jesus had done any part of his ministry, the father declares over him, you are my beloved son and you I am well pleased. And 
the Father declares that over us too as his sons and daughters. So that behavior part, we can get so tied up with that as Christians, doing the right things in the right way in the right way, time. And it's important, but it flows out of our belonging to God's family, to being immersed into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So to be part, to be baptized, to be part of God's family, to be immersed in the family life of God. But the other thing that we see in this passage in Acts is that to be immersed into the family life of God also means that we are immersed in power. Look at verse 6. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. They experience something. They're not just told something. They experience something. Just as Jesus experienced something, the Holy Spirit descending upon him, hearing those affirming words from his Father, these disciples experience the power of of the Holy Spirit as, as a manifestation that he has truly come, that they have been baptized into him. At the end of Luke's gospel, Luke and Acts go together. Luke wrote Luke and Acts. At the end of Luke's gospel, Jesus tells his disciples to remain in the city until the promise of the Father has come and you will be clothed with power from on high. Notice that there's a link between the promise of the Father, that's a familial promise, and this idea of power. To be part of God's family is to have part of God's power, and that power is the person of the Holy Spirit. Beginning the book of Acts before Jesus ascends, Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses here in Jerusalem and all the way to the ends of the world, that we are given the Holy Spirit, who Paul calls in Galatians the Spirit of the Son. We are given the Holy Spirit to be empowered to go forth and do mission. And what's important about this, if we start with the idea of family and that the Holy Spirit is the promise of the Father, that power is not a force. It's not impersonal. Power is a person. And this is hugely important. It has all sorts of implications for the cultural moment that we're in. Because this question of power is everywhere. Who has it? Who doesn't? How can the tables be turned? And power is seen in impersonal ways. Power is seen as something that is lorded over people. Power is seen almost exclusively in negative terms in our culture. I don't know if you see that, but I see it everywhere. And if you pay attention, it's in every conversation. Who has power? Who doesn't? And it's seen in these impersonal terms. But in the family of God, power is a person. We are clothed with power. We are clothed with the Holy Spirit. So the question for us, what is the character of this person? What is the character with the person that we are clothed with, that we are empowered with? Well, we see the Holy Spirit is fire, he's wind. In this passage in the gospel, he's a dove. Jesus calls him a helper, he calls him a comforter. And we can think of the fruit of the Spirit and as identifying characteristics of the character of this person, that he is loving, that he is patient, that he is peaceful, that he is kind. So that when he comes upon us, when he empowers us, it is for those purposes to make us loving and joyful and patient and peaceful and kind and so on and so forth. The question of the character of power is is crucial for us. 
Some of you may have grown up in context like I did, and the Holy Spirit was around all the time, and it was about power, and you kind of lost this character of the Holy Spirit as a person. It was just about the power. And in those contexts, sometimes that power can be used to abuse, to alienate, to make people feel junior varsity. And that's not what the Holy Spirit intends at all. For others, it can be that you've heard about that but not experienced it and you're wary of it. So remembering the character of the person who empowers us is absolutely crucial. And in this context, we have these two evidences of the power of the Spirit, the speaking in tongues and prophesying. And these are sort of two of the more controversial things that the Holy Spirit empowers people to do. And if we don't think about the character of the person who's empowering people to do that, we might get confused about what the purpose of those things is. See, the speaking in tongues and prophesying, those are gifts. Those are gifts that the Holy Spirit gives. Paul talks about this in the book of Corinthians chapter 12. The gifts of the Spirit includes speaking in tongues and prophesying. He includes healing and miracles and words of wisdom and words of knowledge. There's any number of gifts. I don't think that there's a comprehensive, I personally don't think there's a comprehensive list in the New Testament of the gifts. Because Paul, Peter says that the Spirit has manifold gifts, which means manyfold. There are, there, there are so many. And he just says, whatever gift you have, you use. For what purpose? To build up God's family. See, it all goes back to this idea that we've been adopted. It all goes back to this idea that we've been immersed in the family of God. And the gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, are part of that family resemblance that God hopes for us, that the Father wants for us, that we would look like Jesus. So first of all, the gifts are part of our inheritance. To be an heir, to be a son and daughter of God, means that we have an inheritance. And the, the first and best part of that inheritance is that God gives us himself in our hearts to cry out to God, Abba, Father. But he also gives us fruit, and he also gives us gifts. These gifts are part of our inheritance, and those gifts are also part of how the family builds up the family. The way Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians is that gifts are meant to build up, to edify, to encourage. So other sons and daughters of the true king encouraging other sons and daughters of the true king through speaking in tongues, through prophesying, through laying on of hands, through miracles, through all the things that Paul talks about and the rest of the New Testament talks about. And then the other reason that we are given gifts is to invite others into the family, to show the nature of the family. So Paul goes on to talk about in 1 Corinthians that there are certain gifts that are meant for outsiders so that they can see. They're meant to be epiphanies, Right? So we're in the season of epiphany. An epiphany is a sudden insight. Oh, I see. I see what it's about. I see what this truly means. The Holy Spirit clothes us, empowers us, fills us with his life, his power, and his presence so that we can mutually encourage each other and that so we can demonstrate to the world outside that Jesus is real. Just as these men in Ephesians, in Ephesus, experience in the book of Acts, they didn't just hear something, they experienced something. And I think it's, it's easy in, in my own life to get caught up with the hearing and the understanding of things and to forget about the experience of things. And I don't want to ever put them in opposition to each other. There's a, mutual, there's a mutual overlapping. We see that in this passage. 
Right? They have to understand who Jesus is. They have to understand how his ministry was different from John the Baptist. They have to understand what it is to be baptized into that name. But in that understanding, there's an experience of the person of the Holy Spirit and his power. The life of God living in and through them. That's what the gifts of the Spirit are. The, the life of God living in us and through us so that we can build up each other as other sons and daughters and so that we can invite others into the family. And I'm becoming more and more convinced just on, on a personal level that we need more of that. We need more of that family life. We need more of that building up of each other. Um, every church needs it, but I think we live in an especially precarious, dangerous moment where we can get swallowed up by all the stuff that's going on in the world, all the darkness, all the despair, all the outrage, all the anger, all the whatever you want to call it. It's all out there, and it, it can make us hopeless. Sometimes it makes me hopeless. But I keep returning to this again and again, that we need the power of God. And not just the power of God, but the person of God living in us. And so for some of you, maybe you have, like I said, had those negative experiences with, with power. And it makes you wary of it. And to you, I would encourage you to trust the character of the person who empowers. And for others, and I, I'm, I'm sometimes in this camp, it's just I want to understand it before I experience it. But for the, these men in Ephesus, it happened simultaneously, right? They understood, and then there was an experience. And I think that's more normative for the Christian life. So what I would leave you with is I, I believe God is inviting us to come enjoy our inheritance. Not in its fullness. We wait for the fullness of it. Paul says in Ephesians that the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance, meaning that the fullness of it waits but there is an already experience of it in terms of the fruit of the Spirit, in terms of the power of the Spirit, in terms of the gifts of the Spirit. And my encouragement to myself and to all of you is that we would pray into that throughout this year, asking the Holy Spirit to make us more like Jesus, to conform us to the image of Christ, to bear his fruit in our lives. Maybe sometimes, some of you have been in that context where the gifts of the Spirit have kind of been separated from the fruit of the Spirit. He had a lot of power, but not a lot of character. I want both. I want both for me. I want both for us. That the character of the Spirit, that His life living through us would bear His fruit in us, and that we would have His gifts so that we can mutually encourage each other as sons and daughters. That's what it means to be a baptized follower of Jesus, to be immersed in the family life of God, and to be immersed and clothed with His power. So I invite you with me to pray into those realities over the course of this next year. Um, I think I personally feel like God is calling me and maybe all of us into a season of hope, to a season of joy, because those two things are so counter to everything else that's going on in the world. What a, what a demonstration that God is real and that he loves us, that if we could be people of hope and people of joy in the midst of hopelessness, in the midst of a lot of joylessness. So I just invite you to pray with me that pray into those things this year and I invite you just to pray now with me so let us uh, just come before the Lord Father God we thank you for the gift of your life we thank you for the gift of adoption 
to be made part of your family, to be true sons and daughters, to hear from you what we what Jesus heard from you, that we are your beloved children. With us, you are well pleased. So first of all, Lord, I pray for those who may not know you. and Give them an opportunity to respond, to be part of your family, to simply say, I want to be part of your family. And for, for those of us who maybe have grown up with it and it's so familiar that it's almost like a fish swimming in water. We don't even know what it is. Lord, that you would remind us what you have given us, what you have purchased for us by giving us yourself, giving us the person, and not just the person, but the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Lord, I pray that this would be a year of great hope for all saints East Dallas, that we would be people of hope. I pray, that, Lord, that this year would be a season of joy for all saints East Dallas, that we would be people of joy. Lord, we pray that you would bear your fruit in us and among us, and Lord, that you would manifest your gifts in us and among us so we can build each other up as God's family and that we see, so we can invite others to come and join the family. And we pray this in the name of your beloved Son. Amen.